Welcome to episode 156 of the Win 6 podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me as usual is my good friend Jordan Tresky. Hello there, Jordan. Hello. Jordan, how are you? Well. <laughs> Not so good? I mean, we all have our good days and bad days, don't we? Oh, well, on that note, we'll move on to basketball. As usual, as you might be familiar, if you caught the first of our Thursday podcast last week, last week was the first, right? Yeah, I don't know why it was took me a second there. Yeah, it was. Thursday is now, uh, I say Thursday, that's unfortunate. You're all listening to this on Friday, we record on Thursday. <laughs> I mean, used- technically, this would be the first Thursday podcast, because <laughs> we played on Friday. Well, yeah. On Thursday, we record. On Friday, you listen. And what is going to happen on that episode throughout the, the season is we're going to talk about the Wisconsin Herd. We're going to take your questions in the mailbag. And probably more often than not, we'll squeeze a little bit of books in there too. This week is no different. We will get onto the Herd in a minute. We've got plenty to talk about just before they start their inaugural season in the NBA G League. From there, we'll then talk about the books exclamation marks and siren sounds the widespread panic that has set in since we last podcasted on monday when things were incredibly bright and you know the way this the other way the nba is famously a seven game season and it's all just it's all just crumbled an eight game season even crumbled since will the books make the playoffs that's the sort of thing i'm now seeing on twitter believe it or not we'll get on to the books and then we will wrap up with your questions Let's start it off, though, with the G League team. Busy week for the Wisconsin Hurt. Since we were last with you, they announced that as we kind of we kind of touched around their optimistic schedule for construction on the new arena, um, it turns out they are not light years ahead like the Warriors. They don't have that kind of turnaround time. Instead... They're, they're more light deers ahead. If you say so. Instead... It'll be December before the Herd play their first game in Oshkosh. In the interim, they will play three home games. They'll play them at the BMO Harris Bradley Center. Only the first game of those will be open to the public, which is kind of strange, but seemingly there's, you know... I think the Nets played... I think they changed venues this year, but last year they played at the Barclays Center with the place closed. 
So it was just a bunch of empty seats. I just kind of wonder for those two games why you bothered doing that because it, it it will make a stranger atmosphere for the players. Why not just play at the the Bucks practice facility, for example, for those two games? I'm not entirely certain as to why you're playing those games in an empty arena because that that just must make for a very strange atmosphere for the players to play basketball in. So. Yeah, we'll see how that one the goes. Air horn will, the air horn will stay, though. That's true. Maybe they're just there for the buzzers. If they if they were in the practice facility, then they'd have to use air horns. Jordan and I might say that's a good thing. Some of you may disagree. So the Herd will start their season in terms of their home games when they eventually come around, which are still a couple of weeks away, in Milwaukee. Other news come out of the Herd this week. Just before we fired up this podcast, they did us a great favor in confirming their final roster for the season. We'll get to that in a moment. They played their first ever game on Wednesday, although if you weren't paying incredibly close attention and looking for it, you would never have known. They played behind closed doors in Chicago at the Advocate Center. They lost to the Windy City Bulls. We'll have some more details on that very shortly too. And what we'll do... After we've done all that, to wrap up on the herd, we'll look ahead to their opening week of the season. The two games they'll play before we're next with you to talk about Wisconsin Herd basketball. We'll talk a little bit about those opponents, what they did last year, what their rosters look like now, and what the herd should really expect going into those games. Let's start it off with the final roster, though, Jordan. As you pointed out to me before we started recording, Basically, the players who we decided to give some spotlight to last week, forget about them. They're all gone. <laughs> Vito Brown is gone. Who was yours again? Who you particularly... Well, Darius White was Darius cut White. 48 he was, he was hours gone. later. Right. He barely made it past the podcast posting. Yeah. That shelf life was ruined very quickly. <laughs> the Herd did confirm their final roster, though, which includes Cliff Alexander... More on him in a second. <laughs> Grasson Bacamania, Joshua Blanon, Joe Belomboy, Kyle Casey, Michael Donegan, Jaquan Lewis, Xavier Munford, Gary Payton too, Jarvis Summers, Brian Williams, and James Young. For those of you keeping score at home, which is probably none of you, uh, Brian Williams was the only player to survive from the the local player tryouts, so good for him. We'll all be rooting for Brian Williams. He's proof that any one of us can do it. Next year, you could be Brian Williams. Getting a leap from newscaster to G League basketball player has not gone unnoticed. Oh, my God. When when I said next year, you could be Brian Williams, I was actually, I wasn't talking to the listeners. I was specifically talking to you, Jordan, (laughs) because there was a time where you discussed, I think you followed out on this podcast that maybe you'd go and try out for the herd for the experience, write a post on site. Next year, you're doing that, right? If we have to crowdfund the fee, you're doing that. So next year, Jordan could be Brian Williams. Who knows? (laughs) Before we get into talking about the rest of the roster, I should circle back to Cliff Alexander again. um, I'm not sure he obliged us in the same way, but just before we started recording, the NBA G League announced that Cliff Alexander has been suspended for five games without pay for violating the terms of the league's anti-drug program. That is not exactly the way you want to start a season. Um, that is not exactly the way you want to start with a player who you did trade two of your draft picks for, if I remember correctly. Um, heading into this 
season's G League draft. He's a proven player in the G League. He'll have 45 games still, health permitting, to make his impact. And who knows? Hopefully postseason as well. But a little bit of a setback to start. Any surprises with the final roster? What are your overall impressions? I mean, I'm totally surprised, considering <laughs> my prediction last week. Um, yeah, I, I, I really don't know. Uh, I, I'm not bamboozled, not shocked, not hoodwinked. Is that no? I mean, they heard, heard me yeah. in this oh, game. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, what I would say is uh, TJ Denans did play 19 minutes in their game on Wednesday, so he, I would guess that maybe he was close to getting a chance. It was something maybe they were looking very closely at him and didn't quite see what they wanted to. Vito Brown played nine minutes. Uh, James Siakam didn't play at all, and... He was he was actually, although his name had been floated earlier, I think we spoke with him last week, he was a late addition in coming to join the camp. He only joined uh, after the first batch of waivers. So maybe his cards were somewhat marked from the beginning. I think overall, though, the, the, the headline players are still around. They're going to mm-hmm. be in Wisconsin, in Oshkosh for the season ahead. They've got a nice mix of players. I, I think we touched on it last week, but it still applies. They have players who have not just kind of been proven, but have started at the, the G League level. This isn't the kind of team that most expansion teams in the past and even the, their fellow expansion teams this year can generally boast. The Books and the Herd have done a nice job of piecing together a roster that should be pretty competitive and I think will be fun to watch at that level this season. And on top of that, you're going to have a few players who, who knows, maybe down the line they could be interesting for the Books. I think Gary Payton, too, is obviously of interest straight away. We know that. Uh, Joe Belomboy, I mean, we'll get to even his performance in that preseason game in a minute, but judging by what he showed down there last year and what he showed in his first game for the Herd, he's someone that if the Bucks ever do have any injury problems in the forward center positions, that two-way contract could come in useful. I wouldn't be all that surprised to see him get some minutes. And even beyond that, likes of Xavier Munford. I mean, if there's one kind of area where the books aren't exactly locked in and said it's the guard position, someone like him has a really big season. Who knows what opportunities can arise? Uh, Grasso-Bacamania is incredibly raw. A lot to prove at the G League level first, but is a player who a lot of teams around the draft and the time since have been intrigued in just in terms of a physical standpoint and maybe what he could translate to. And then they've had guys like Jacon Lewis, for example, was at Summer League. So there are, there are different, different options, different players who could become factors for the books and in their own right should be pretty exciting for the Herd. To have a look at that game, as I mentioned, on Wednesday, the Herd played their first ever game. It was played behind closed doors, essentially. Um, wasn't broadcast anywhere. Regular season G League games will all be broadcast on Facebook. You'll be able to watch them all free and live on Facebook. That doesn't apply for the one preseason game the Herd played. But they played rather than the Sears Center Arena, where the Windy City Bulls normally played, this game took place at the Chicago Bulls practice facility, the Advocate Center. And the Herd, from what I can tell, which is from reading through the play-by-play and the box score, were pretty competitive for most of it. They were 
up 33-28, if I remember correctly, after the first quarter. They were only down by five points heading into the final quarter before ultimately losing 120-99. to So lopsided final score, not so kind of uncompetitive throughout, considering the Windy City Bulls do have a year, one year under their belt right there, an expansion team last year. Yep. The herd showed, okay, they can mix it. I'm just looking here now at the box score, and I see the official attendance was registered as 12. So I think that does count as behind someone closed got, doors. Someone got in behind those closed doors. Right. In the game itself, Joe Boy, who I mentioned earlier, 19 points, Boy. 10 rebounds, 2 assists, 2 blocks, 1 steal on 8 of 14 from the field. Somewhat intriguingly as well, 1 of 4 from 3. So he was attempting some 3-pointers. He was playing the four with Michael Dunnigan, the, the starting center on the occasion. Dunnigan, we talked about last week, a veteran G League player, really established at that level. He had a double-double, 10 points, 10 rebounds, and three of six from the field. Very kind of solid. It'll be interesting to see if they stick with him in that kind of role coming into the season. The other members of the starting lineup were Xavier Mumford and Jaquan Lewis in the backcourt. I would guess that's probably because Gary Payton too is still with the books. Is he still with the books? I don't believe so. Okay, well he didn't play yesterday anyway, so he was a, he was a DMP. Maybe they're just giving him some time off because he may be further advanced in terms of his uh his game readiness, his fitness, having already played in games. But he was a DMP. You'd imagine when the season comes around, he will take probably Jaquan Lewis's spot in the starting backcourt. And the other starter was James Young. James Young, who will get a lot of attention, grab a lot of eyes as a former lottery pick, maybe just outside. Was he 15th overall? I think he was 17th. Okay, 17th. The infamous 17th. <laughs> Bill Simmons. Yeah, we won't talk about 17 picks too much, maybe later. Uh, but <laughs> the, the 15th, uh, well, yeah, I'm saying 15th again. Look, you've thrown me with just a mention of a 17th pick. But the 17th pick that Bill Simmons famously fist pumped celebrated he had 14 points three rebounds two assists he did so on only 412 from the field did make three three pointers on nine attempts though overall signs are good i mean you don't want to read too much into it as in there were players still playing for spots players who have been cut since as i mentioned vito brown tj and both played in that game cliff alexander was the one that puzzled me looking at the box score only having played six minutes Maybe that's not so much of a puzzle now. We'll see how that one plays out. As I just mentioned, though, I, I guess it wouldn't be a surprise if they went with Michael Dunnigan as a kind of... Otherwise, that's going to be a pretty young starting lineup. Although they'll have G League experience, he would be an older guy, maybe just add some stability in the early stages. Would you see something like that potentially playing out even more so now with alexander's suspension i mean it's, it's probably a lock that donegan's gonna get five games at least to try and make that position his own yeah a, a stability st- stop gap i would say and even then i mean who knows maybe they'll want some extra punch in the second unit which if you're bringing say gary payton two into the starting lineup cliff alexander would certainly deliver that so i found this a little strange if what this game was literally not recognized anywhere on heard social media, book social media. I only found it on the G League app on the herd schedule a few days ago. I sent it to Jordan. I said the the herd are playing on Wednesday. Wasn't entirely sure if it was real. I went checked the arena listings, which is as I mentioned, 
the Bulls training facility. They said, yeah, it's a game there. Okay. The Windy City Bulls did tweet about five times, including one highlight from the game. So it did happen. We have some video proof. Uh, worth mentioning, the Bulls, the main reason they probably won, Antonio Blakeney, who is one of the Chicago Bulls' two two-way contract players, he had 33 points, four rebounds, four assists, four steals on 12-20 from the field. That's pretty good. He, <laughs> led, he led all scores. The Windy City Bulls were pretty underwhelming from a box score point of view. Otherwise... Bronson Koenig only played 11 minutes, didn't attempt a single shot, so much for a revenge game, grabbed four rebounds. Uh, other players with Wisconsin ties, Dewey Dukan, Diamond Stone, DMPs. Mm. Moving on from what has happened with the Herd. Let's look to the week ahead and their, their opening week of the season. Between now and when we're next on air, which is not Thursday. We'll record on Thursday. You'll hear it on Friday. The Hurdle have played their first two games of the G League season. For those of you who don't know, as I mentioned to earlier, the G League season is 50 games long. And then postseason, obviously, if that applies to the Herd. The Herd open up with three road games, four road games, I should say, to start. The first two that will come in between now in our next podcast. First one comes against the Rio Grande Valley Vipers. That is on November 6th, which is Monday, I believe. And they will then go to Salt Lake City to play the Salt Lake City Stars on Wednesday, November 8th. How much do you know about the Vipers and the Stars, Jordan? Am I putting you on the spot here? A little bit. I know the val- the Valley Vipers. Are they, is it the Vipers? or the Vipers. It's the yeah. Vipers. Rio Grande Valley is the place. RGVV. Yeah. Um, they went to the D-League, then named D-League Finals last year. We're going to call How it the D-League work? Finals because it's very confusing for me. I'm, I'm, I'm having real difficulty in saying, oh, players played in the they played in the D-League before, but they're, you know, I'm just going to call it the G-League now. They're just the umbrella, the G-League umbrella. Let's not forget that this is nothing other than branding. The league is exactly the same. Like, it's not a new league. This is just branding. The G doesn't stand for anything other than Gatorade. The other, the other thing I have, and this is maybe a little pedantic, but I was doing this at the start as well, and this is something people like me and you will have to worry about more than a lot of our listeners. The, the hyphen? The hyphen. So <laughs> so used to having D-League with the hyphen for, for good reason. Development League. You're abbreviating it. The hyphen needs to go there. G-League. I was hyphenating it. Gleague. After a while, I realized, no, there's no hyphen. This is branding. They just named it G for Gatorade. So, I don't know. Maybe I need to have a little stylized Gatorade logo that I can just put in every time before the word leaves. The G stamp? Yeah, the G stamp. That's what we'll call it. That doesn't sound like something different (laughs) altogether, but that's what we'll call it. We'll start with the Rio Grande Valley Vipers. The G League. I'm just going to call it the G League. G League finalists last year. That team that made it to the finals, they lost in best of three series, as they do in the G League, to Raptors 905, Toronto Raptors affiliate. They have a slightly different roster this year. And for reasons that are not exactly unfamiliar to Bucks and Herd fans, the Rio Grande Valley Vipers are an affiliate of the Houston Rockets. And throughout much of last season, one of their starring lights was Gary Payton too, Key player. For the Vipers last year, he may or may not, depending on if the books decide to 
keep him around next week, be going up against his former team to start the season. Some of the holdovers from last year, old favorite of mine, Chilano Anawaku. They haven't finalized their roster, unlike the Herd, at our time of recording. Other familiar names, though, who were on their training camp roster include Isaiah Hartenstein, draft pick for Houston Rockets, RJ Hunter, former Boston Celtics draft pick, who I believe is just now outright with the Vipers. Yeah. Uh, Monte Morris, Demetrius Jackson. Demetrius Jackson, I think, is on a two-way. Briante Weber is listed here, but that was obviously before, because he's now with the Hornets again, isn't he? Are the Warriors? I don't think so. And he was with the Warriors last year, so I don't know why that got back to my head. Houston Rockets announced he, they signed him on a two-way. Okay, Hornets waved and they signed him on a two-way. Well, I'm I'm on Real GM's uh, Vipers list here, and it's showing three players on two ways. Who drafted Monte Morris again? Nuggets. Ah, they don't have an affiliate. Yeah, flex. So he's on flex assignment. So they do have three three-way players. Just Monte Morris is coming for the Nuggets. Confusion over, everyone. Glad you could listen in with that. Tyler Lydon is also flexed. A flex assignment. Troy Williams, the only other player. Oh, Tony Roten's there too. And uh, George DePaula. The... Isn't also Joe Chi going to be there? No. What? Oh. Isn't his name? He's not there? I thought he was playing. They're going to Well, I mean, he might be there, but he's not. I don't think he's on assignment right now. Oh. The way you said that, Joe Chi. I, that's, the, that's what I've I was, heard. I was, I was scrolling the roster looking for someone called Joe, like J-O-E. Yeah. No, it's not Joe here. Is that, is it, I think it's, I think it's Ju. Ju Key would be how I would have thought that is. But Ju Key? Yeah. I thought, I heard it's Joe Key. Anyway, George DePaula, the man with the big hands. Uh, draft prospect who books fans are probably familiar with because books fans get drawn to players like that exceptionally long. 6-6 point guard. Also, I mean, rail thin. He is also with the Vipers, unless they wave him after we record. Basically, That's they've got a, an interesting mix of players. They, they aren't the same team who got to the finals last year, but they're going to be pretty good. It'll be a tough test for, for the herd to open up. Salt Lake City Stars. Not dissimilarly. Missing one of their key players from last year. Who could that be? Joel Balomboy. Swooped. Swooped. (laughs) Jordan would say. They do have someone who will be familiar. Do you remember off the top of your head who the Salt Lake City Stars could be, could have suiting up on Wednesday? The Herd fans, who are essentially Bucks fans at this point, will be more than familiar with. If I could be wrong, is it him? Who? Marshall? Kendall Marshall? Nate Walters. Oh, that's right, Nate Walters. Nate Walters on a, on a two-way deal with the Jazz. So could well be on assignment with the Salt Lake City Stars. Uh, other other players who you may be familiar with on the Salt Lake City Stars, Isaiah Cousins, who was a second-round pick in 2016, I think. No relation to DeMarcus. Eric Griffin, who has kind of bounced around training camp rosters and things for quite a while, has played quite a bit in the G League against them overseas. Oh, that's really it, people. The Salt Lake City Stars were an expansion team. Oh, no, they weren't last year because they were around before that. They rebranded last year. Rebranded, yeah. 
Um, they were bad last year. Is really where I was getting a hood. They were the record was fourteen well, and thirty six. First, first season under as in Salt Lake, so right. I mean, so they relocated, but the same franchise. Team. Did they bring? I wonder. Did they bring? They did because we know from Steve Brandes has spoken about this. Uh, this is it's kind of a weird start that the, the Bucks Jazz connection strikes again. Sweet. Right, and well, and you've got the two two way guys <laughs> playing against their former teams. The weird way the schedule has worked out, but yeah, I mean the herd is very much built off of the Salt Lake City Stars. They were bottom of the Pacific Division in the G League last year, so not necessarily the best team. So the the herd will get kind of both extremes of life in the G League mm. straight up in their in their first two games. But the time we are here talking about it again, we should have a real sense of kind of what this is like. Or they could just be like the books and they could completely just leave us baffled at every turn. Are you prepared for that? I thought of this earlier. For example, I don't know if you're ready for this, but what if what if the herd start the season 10 and 0 and everyone's like that Jordan Brady, he's quite the coach. You know, <laughs> I wonder if Jordan Brady could... Are you ready for that? I mean, I I think it's going to happen after the first game. I don't think we have to wait 10 games. I think it's going to happen after the first game. He's, he's coaching a team that didn't exist last year, and he just beat the finalists. The system works. The system works. <laughs> I'm genuinely... if. If they do play a similar defensive scheme to the books and it happens to work better under Jordan Brady, I'm not ready for that. I just can't <laughs> can't prepare myself for what that's gonna be it. like. I welcome it with open arms. So it is a time to be excited. We're gonna have much more basketball under the general Milwaukee Bucks umbrella. It's it's a momentous week. It's a big I was I was kind of upset about this. I, I said to you yesterday, I was annoyed that their first preseason game wasn't kind of acknowledged in any way. You were like, yeah, whatever. But this is, that is history. It's history. It matters. That's the first time if 50 years from now, the G League is ingrained into things. You know, it's people say, oh, when was the first time they played? People will be struggling to know that there was 12 people there and that there was no acknowledgement. You know? I mean, I'm imagining those closed doors have like a panel, a window panel, smack dab in the middle. I will say that I wrote a piece today based on what I saw from the box score, just to do my, just to do my duty as a historian. You know, I am. We are here to document what is going on now, Jordan. That's our only purpose in life. That's, all of us. That's our. That's the the cross weeping. <laughs> You think of that next time you tweet, Jordan. You're just documenting what it was like to live in 2017. Oh, God. <laughs> Should we move it on to some books talk? Let's... Uh, you hesitated there, and it was probably with good reason. What I want to ask you, Jordan, you <laughs> might have noticed, right? As it is prone to do from time to time, books Twitter has worked itself up into... Into a fervor of sorts. Not the kind of fervor they were in only four or five days ago. The complete opposite kind of fervor. We were in a fever pitch a week ago. Now we're in a fervor pitch. Well, you could say that. (laughs) The Bucks have lost two games since our last podcast, which released on Monday. There's signs of panic among the fan base. I have no doubt there's no signs of panic 
within the team because they've lost just two games in two days in an 82-game season. Is there any reason for people to be concerned about this? Or why are people concerned about this? Um, and I, I want to point out, this is not, I'm not in the, with this particular part of this segment, I'm not doing the telling you how to feel. I did that on Twitter the other day, so I've already done it. But I'm not going to use this platform for that. You're allowed, if you want to panic, you want to panic. But just, I think the overall reaction to these two losses is is something interesting that's worth us kind of taking a look at and saying, is there something here? Or what is it that's making this happen? Um, and same here. I'm not going to tell people what to feel. Uh, all that, you know, stuff. But it is, I don't know. I, I don't really understand it. We've seen losses before. And frankly, I mean, if you, th- I mean, last night's loss was tough, especially with Middleton's big night and just the fact that they couldn't really stop the Hornets at all. <laughs> I mean, they gave them 126. All their losses have come to good teams. And I mm-hmm. think I would lump the Hornets in there, even though obviously they're kind of, they're a playoff team. They're a playoff team. They're not. I mean, the the Hawks are the only team that the books have played so far this season that you could say are not going to be a playoff team. Yep. Uh, although the Cavs, I don't know, they're struggling. I don't know. <laughs> um, but it's there is. I think there is a the stakes of like you just want to get off on to a good start, and you want to put this kind of huddling and mediocrity kind of behind them. Yeah, you know I mean, put your put your best foot forward. And my best foot is by right. My left one is a little. I, I broke it a couple years ago. I, I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. Anyway, it's not true. Uh, Did you really? I, well, actually, I broke my leg when I was a, a little toddler. Enough about me. You lean back in your seat there. <laughs> you're about to show me your leg or something. I was I was alarmed as to where that was going. But that's enough about four, four toes. You can anyway. tweet at Jordan if you want to know more about his leg. <laughs> no, please, don't. <laughs> please don't. Anyway, um. Yeah, it's just I don't know. It's the, the the Thunder game was not good. It was the I would say the legitimate stinker of the game besides Giannis being Giannis that or other season I should say. That was a dreadful performance and you kind of want to see a game against a it's a rule a measuring stick type game. Can you hang around with a team like the Thunder who I know they're 4 and 3 now? They're still pretty darn good. <laughs> they lo- they had good. two two one possession losses to yeah. the Timberwolves, to who the Timberwolves. themselves aren't a bad team as a part of that. So I mean, you're kind of and I mean, one of them was a freak Andrew Wiggins shot in particular. Like you're a couple of shots going a different way from being six and one if you're the Thunder. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and it's Halloween. Ooh, the ghoulish, the goblin, the fair, uh, fair. That's with an e at the end. Not- F A I R, if that makes sense. Um, I don't know where I'm going at this point, but it's just it's one of those things where that game in particular, that's a measuring stick game. You want to see them try to remain competitive outside of the first like four minutes, uh, but they didn't, and it sucked. It wasn't very fun, but uh, it's still four and four. It's early. We just passed November. That's the other thing we have to remember. The NBA is very wonky, <laughs> more than usual, just because. I don't think anybody really accounted for the schedule, not the schedule, but the training camp stuff and kind of ramping into the yeah. season. 
less Players preseason games as well. Normally, yeah. Like it, it will pay off hopefully in the longer term. Players won't be as tired. Maybe they won't be as injured overall in the season, although maybe there's evidence of more injuries to start the year from having less time under their belts. But shortened training camp, coaches have been pretty vocal and complaining about. Preseason too, though. I mean, if this was last year, the books would have played two or three more games to get the rust off, you know, before they actually came out to play real games. So all of that kind of matters. I think to start with the Thunder game, that's one of those games where you should go into it, and it's it's this might sound like a cop-out, but I really think it's true for where the books are. If they can somehow win that game, or if they go really close, push the Thunder close, you have nothing but positives to take out of it. If they lose, and even if they lose badly, it's kind of like, oh yeah, okay, that's what happened. Like, I, I think reading into specifics of that loss is pretty pointless. I don't know what you're going to gain from that, because measuring how the books look against the Thunder compared to how they're going to look against the other 28 teams in the league, you're not going to get a whole lot out of that. The Thunder are going to be the second best team in the NBA this year, at least. I mean, they are they are really, really good. They're already good. I think the the reasons why they're good, Bucks fans got a particularly amplified look at that as well. The matchup was awful for the Bucks. Mm-hmm. Really, really bad. We're talking all this time about, you know, the Bucks need an extra scoring option. The Thunder might have been that they were that team a year ago. I mean, that's the difference between just having the one man team or then all of a sudden like Westbrook still runs that team, but he's got Carmelo Anthony and Paul That's George. That's why the Bucks beat them at home last year. Right. We remember. Yeah. Westbrook had a horrendously in I think that was game. one of his one of the worst games of the season. One of the games that he didn't have a triple double. I know he only had like 42. So those many games, but that one in particular was not a very good game for him. That's one element of the bad matchup. The bigger element that I think underrated and by the time Both the season literally and physically. <laughs> by the time the season is kind of done it'll probably be so underrated that it's overrated but it's just how good Stephen adams is and in a books context in a week where you don't have greg monroe due to injury this seven foot tall guy who i would say is probably maybe top five strongest players in the league oh yeah and effortlessly so it's not like he has to go out of his way the man is just a mountain he is so good defensively he is so aware. He is very, very mobile. Much more mobile than he looks. I, I think we touched on this in advance of that game and looking to it, but I said, just watch how he's kind of out of your frame and then all of a sudden he's around the whole length of the court, like basically keeping up with the likes of Russell Westbrook to go and finish a dunk or something. He's really, really impressive. Him and Russell Westbrook at the pick and roll are really tough to stop. I think you're going to see like... A, I don't know what the solution the Warriors are going to have for a Russell Westbrook, Stephen Adams pick and roll is going to be. Because they might finally have a center who is imposing in the ways that could cause some small ball problems, but is also is also adept enough at some of the other things to keep up with them. I mean, they, they've already gone close with the Thunder in the past with a lesser version of Stephen Adams at this point. It's going to be interesting to see how that one plays out. But, like... A player like that up against Tonmaker, John Henson. Steven Adams was really the dominant force in that game on a Thunder team that also had Westbrook, Anthony, and George. Yeah. That he's, says he's, a lot. It's a it's a horrible amount. 
the Mount Tasman of the Thunder. That's a mountain in New Zealand where Steve Adams is from. Is he from New Zealand? Yes, New Australia. Zealand. That's yes. what I um, Thanks for that. Shout out to the people down under. <laughs> no, that's Australia, you see. I mean, oh, uh... I'm just saying the... Okay, well, yeah, but you just... Uh, come on, they're waters you don't want to... You don't want to muddy them. I know yes. Aaron Sorry. Baines has himself muddied those waters, oh. which is part of the problem, but I'm not, I'm not going to get into that. Basically... Where we're coming out with this is the Thunder are incredibly good. So it doesn't matter how bad the books look. It doesn't matter how much old problems fared up. They're against the Thunder. You should be able to just go, it's a bad night against a really good team. Let's move on. Move on, they did. They go to Charlotte. They lose to the Hornets. The defense didn't look good. Okay, granted. When you give up, what was it, 125? 126. 126. 126, 121 was the final score. You have 126 points. You haven't done a whole lot right defensively. It was also a game where guys were just shooting out of their mind from three-point range. So even when shots were being defended well, they were going in on both sides. It wasn't a normal game. Throw into the mix that the Bucks were second over back-to-back, having traveled to Charlotte overnight. The Hornets had had a day's rest, and I believe were actually at home the game before that as well. Mm-hmm. It was highlighted as I shared on Twitter by Baxter Holmes, who keeps track of this and kind of grades games in terms of their likelihood to be scheduled losses. This was ranked pretty highly. It was one of six games this month or eight games this month that ESPN have flagged as like high potential schedule losses. The Bucks lose. They don't look quite as good defensively. What they did look like was much improved offensively. And you could take so many layers away from that game and boil it down to as simple as if before the game... I had said to any one of you listening, books are going to lose by five points tonight. Yanis is only going to have 14 points. Everyone would have shrugged their shoulders and gone, okay, Yanis is 14 points. Yeah, of course the books are going to lose. You probably would have said, really? It's only going to be five points? Like, again, that's a game where Dwight Howard, not the best matchup for the books, for all of his deficiencies, the kind of player who can cause the books problems. Kemba Walker in his own way, the kind of player who can pose the book's problems. And he did. You lose that game on the road, and it took a rookie, two rookies really, but one rookie in particular playing the best game of his career so far, and you wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the season it was still his best game to beat you. It's kind of not a big deal. And all that comes out at, you're right, 4-4 four four record, 500. Eight games into the season. I mean, it's to be bogged down in what the team are doing record-wise at this point is kind of very unimportant. The record isn't going to matter. I mean, uh, 30 games. That's when you want to look and say, if the books are just 500 at 30 games, we'd say, okay, they're underachieving. If they're below 500, they're in a really bad place, much worse than they should be. But like the books could lose on Friday to the Pistons. They could lose to the Cavaliers and Spurs next week. And maybe not win again until they return home, which is on Saturday of next week against the Lakers. Which, what would that be? That would then put them at 5-7 and seven after that Lakers game. There's no reason to panic. Because in this, the 12 games that have played so far, 10 of them would have come against playoff teams again. And, you know, you're allowed hit patches here and there. This is one of the longest, if not the longest, uh, road trip the books have this season. They're kind of now in the... The process of 
if they go on a bad run through that, that is not the end of the world. And if there's any group of fans who right now should know that, it's the Bucks. Look, they were dead, buried last year, and they came back from that. And so, yeah, there were bad, bad things from the two games. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't kind of disguise or deny that Thunder game in particular, a lot of the problems they had last year were exposed. But I think the two things you've got to take into account is, one, that was a really good team. Not the end of the world, a team like that. If it takes a team that good to expose that, well, you'll probably be all right in the season overall. And secondly, I mean, if the same issues do persist from last year, why are we surprised and why is it that big a deal? Where was everyone expecting everything that plagued the books last year to disappear? And they were just going to be perfect. They were making this improvement because Giannis was an MVP-style player. All their problems for last year were gone, and now you just go forth and win a championship. I, I don't really know what the expectations had maybe become from, from the start of the season. Like I think the books are really, really good this year. Really, really good. I still, still feel that, and I will feel that if they lose their next three games and lose them in an ugly way. It's just so early in the season that to dive too much into anything, it's kind of like... I wouldn't worry now, personally, because if I was going to worry about what we've seen in the last two games, I should have been worrying all along. I should have been worrying when they beat the Celtics in their, their opener and won their other three games, when they beat the Trailblazers through Yanis heroics late on. I should have been just as worried then, because if you're worried about the defensive scheme or all of these, you know, who steps up to help Yanis, they were issues last season, they were issues in the summer. Why are you worried after the two losses? It's like, there are things we know about it's not all going to come down to that. It's not a surprise. They weren't going away. So in a lot of ways, this book season is going to be about what they can do to overcome their issues. And I think it's going to be about cancelling it out rather than just kind of getting rid of those issues. This way we talked about beating the teams you're supposed to beat. Biggest key for the books if they want to win 50 games this year. Mm-hmm. They did that in Atlanta. In many ways, that's the most notable game the books have had. Sunday, matinee, they were awful in that slot last year. A team they should be, they went and they took care of business pretty convincingly. If they do that in all of those games they should win, this Bucks team is probably a home court team in the East. And you, you don't worry about some of your losses to playoff teams. You don't worry about how ugly a loss to the Thunder is because this isn't the finished product. They might be as far along as we hope. Maybe this turns out to be a season that is very disappointing. If that's the case, it's all kind of part of the process. And we'll get to it in the mailbag because we come to a lot of the questions. I think you get the sentiments that are just kind of still bubbling under and most of the time bubbling over among books Twitter. It's like, well, if you don't think Jason Kidd is the right coach for this team and you've been really determined about that, pushing that so hard for the last year, maybe more, why are you so worried that they're having a bad run? Is that what you want? Do you not want something to show up? Maybe we could be barren this way. I, I just, I don't get, there's so many mixed messages. Do we want Chris Middleton to be bad? Because it makes us all feel smarter. And when I say us, this is not Jordan or I. Or do we want the books to win? Like, it doesn't matter if it's Matthew Delvadova who brings the books to a victory one night or Giannis. Giannis can't do it every night. So if some night it's Chris Middleton, if it's Delvadova, if it's Mirza Toledovic, any player that various kind of sections of the fan base have decided no don't like that guy well what are we here for are are we watching books games are we sporting the books or is it just about proving yourself right in terms of individual players 
I'm going to pause that rant and I'll get back to it shortly, Jordan, because we're going to move into the mailbag now. <laughs> the first question from at DB Sweeney underscore 2016. Obviously, it's not time to panic for the books. Promising start. But it is concerning to see that the defense really is not approving. Isn't it not? Are you concerned yeah. that the defense isn't approving? Uh, I mean, <laughs> you just said it. <laughs> is this, can, can I ask a question first? And I, I actually, I tried to look into this, and for some reason, uh, the NBA Stats website is acting up at the moment, so I couldn't actually quite see it. So I'm working off memory. But is it fair to say that the defense isn't improving? Isn't improving yeah, or the, is? Well, Dylan in his question has said, it's concerning to see that the defense really isn't improving, is it not? So... What I'd say is, first of all, do we agree that the defense hasn't improved at all? I'm not saying the defense is good, but, for example, right now, okay, and this, I think this will highlight just how ridiculous it is that we're talking about this right now. The books are 24th in defensive rating, okay? What I can't get to at the moment, for some reason, and there's obviously some problem with NBA stats, you can probably look this up yourself by the time it posts, my memory serves me correctly, before the game with the Thunder, the books were around kind of middle of the pack, 15th, maybe 16th in defensive rating. Okay, so if we take a back-to-back that went disastrously wrong and in an eight-game sample size is going to skew things very significantly out of there, they've been pretty average. They're 24th in defensive rating at the moment. Do you know who's 25th, Jordan? No. The Golden State Warriors. <laughs> So if the books defense is like, if we're at panic stations over it, are, are, is this it? Are the, the books are so bad defensively and they're going to be better than the Warriors all season? Are we going to go, no, yeah, the Warriors are going to be all right. They're going to bounce back. They've got the track record. It's, it's like we're so early into the sample size that it's, it's, it is very difficult to say the books are worse, the books are better. We don't really know. We don't have enough to compare it to. One game where... You know, your defense would be bad, but the offense, which the Thunder showed, can be better against you, and that destroys your defensive rating. Just how heavily that weights on things right now is not irrelevant. That's pretty significant. I don't know. By my eyes, right? And I trust them sometimes. Not always, but sometimes I like to trust my eyes, Jordan. Through the first six games, the Bucks' defense looked improved to me. And I think the only lapse you could really highlight in that spell is the Cavs game. And that may have had as much to do with like Jason Terry on Kyle Corver for two out of three plays when the game turned. I don't see the, enough evidence right now to say it's worse, that it hasn't improved. I'm not saying it has improved or I expect it to improve. I just think, you know, there were positive signs before. We've now had some negative signs. It's leaving me kind of at a neutral position where I'm like, it's probably like it is last year. But, I mean, how much better were we expecting it to get? I don't know. I will say the last week or so has been refreshing personally, I think, in terms of us actually hearing more. That that Arnovitz story was fascinating to me because I feel like we heard some things that we should have probably heard maybe two years ago. Yeah. Because at least I can now say I understand what is trying to happen what they're trying to achieve here, what the goal yeah. is, what the thinking behind it is. And this whole experiment, when it's all said and done, it could be a negative thing where kid and his whole staff are gone and a defense like that isn't tried in the NBA for quite a while. But in theory, drawing that up, 
the philosophy of it isn't bad. And I think there's there's an element that people aren't necessarily understanding in terms of you're trusting not in the quality of your shot, but in kind of how the shooter is positioned when they get their shot. You're relying on the other factors making the shot difficult for them. And it has actually worked for the books more than people necessarily think. We're just so used to seeing wide open corner trees. We're not actually kind of fully registering the percentage of them that go in compared to other teams. It's not always sky high for the books. There has been times where, yeah, it has been atrociously bad, but there have been times where actually they give up the highest percentage by a long way, but they're not being made. Now, whether that's just luck, maybe. But we now know that the scheme is actually designed that more factors into that than just luck. The idea is, yeah, there will be open trees from time to time, but they are gambling on those trees will be more difficult than they would appear just by being classified as open. So whether it works, whether it doesn't work, I mean, so far you'd have to lean it doesn't. We've had quite a significant period to look at this, but we now at least have some idea of what it is. If it hasn't improved, is it concerning? I just don't think it's surprising, so I don't know why I'd be concerned. Like, uh, part of what I would have thought is the books to do well this year would have had to do well in spite of their defense, and I think they can do that. I don't think the defense is necessarily going to stop them from challenging for home court. You know, that's that's more about Yanis than it is the defense. And they were able to go toe-to-toe with a, with a good team in the playoffs in the first round for at least the first half of a series last year. So, you know, there, there were spells where they figured out enough to just get by. This is This is what kids' defense is. Like, that's very clear. That was flagged up in Arnovitz's piece and in his podcast with Zach Lone, the low post, where they described it. Jason Kidd is a perfectionist. He sees this as a way where you can have the perfect defense if it all clicks together. The more pragmatic response is, well, nothing is perfect. That's completely moronic. Abandon a system that's designed to strive for perfection and let's instead focus on something that conservatively will do a job. I think that's what most books fans want at this point. I can't use the eight games we've seen as further evidence for or against it. It's kind of, there have been much improved performances defensively. And then there has been a two game aberration. I think the one element though, that people are disappointed in is just the starting lineup and specifically Thon. And that's why he didn't start last night. And if I were to bet, I don't think he's going to be starting for a while. Well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. There's a question about that coming up still. So we'll hold off on that one. We'll go to the next question from DB Sweeney underscore 2016 again. I guess the natural follow-up to his first question. What are the chances Kid could be let go if the struggles continue? Would it be during the season or would it likely wait till after? I think the first thing I have to point out, and it's not to be smart, but the struggles aren't, I mean, the struggles aren't going on to continue at the minute. They've, I mean, you can't even call it a losing streak. They've lost two games. They have to lose to the Pistons before we can call it a streak. So a four and four start to the season is not the struggles. This is, this is the way it's being framed. We'll by call it a skid, a Jason Kidd skid. It's not even a, I don't know if a skid is two games. <laughs> this is recency bias though, like in its most extreme yeah. form. It's like, yeah. just think back to Sunday. When the, when was anyone then able to say if the if the struggles continue? I mean, there aren't struggles yet. There could be. They could lose the next tree. Wouldn't be surprised. 
I still wouldn't kind of be that bothered by it, but yeah, you could call that struggles. Chances he loses his job if struggles occur, we'll say, and kind of dominate the season. High, very high. Mm-hmm. It, it, the, I think the room he had for that has been all used up. He has no rope left to use. It's behind closed doors. <laughs> it's very much you've now Yanis uh, is not helping his case in that he's helping his case and make it more likely he'll win more games but he's also now so good that if you're not winning games the blame is not yeah. going to be on the players even if there are other players who are not performing it's going to be on the coach as in how are you not maximizing that player if the books don't finish i would say f- maybe 46 wins i don't think there's a chance he's back next year they're below 500 by the all-star break he's got Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I'd agree with that. But, I mean, even after the season, I mean, if they if they win 43 games, a one-win improvement on last year, and Giannis continues playing the way he has to start the year, I, I think that would be the juncture where things would be assessed and the owners would go, you know what, we need to push on with something different. Yeah. So, I mean, he has to perform to keep his job. Would it be during the season or would it likely wait till after? I mean, if it is bad enough, it will happen during the season. That's the question. If if they just kind of meet expectations, just fall short, that would be an after season job. As Jordan said, I mean, if they're below 500 at the All-Star break, that's gone. And that, again, though, that feeds into, like, I don't know, a kid isn't going to be fired next week. I say this having little faith that I ever can predict what the books are going to do. But if they did lose their next three games, they'd lost five in a row, and they were uh, four and seven, they'd be in that case. He's not going to be fired, I don't think. That kind of 30-game mark I referenced earlier, if they get to his 30-game mark and they're 10 and 20, I mean, he's gone. (laughs) He would have wanted to be packing his bags well in advance because he'd be able to see that one coming. So depends on how bad, but, I mean, the bottom line of that is he has to get results this year. Has to for his job. Yep. From at Mike underscore esque. Sort of related, Jordan, believe it or not. When would you guys think it should be time to fire Kid? Becoming more clear that his X's and O's and philosophies are holding this team back. I, I dispute this again. As in, it's not becoming more clear. It's, it's no more clear than it has been. <laughs> yeah. I mean... And check the receipts on this. I am not, and I never will be, one of the leaders of the hashtag fire kid movement. I have no interest in that. I don't think that achieves anything because it just it just leads to biases where you're, I you're, don't only, think... you're only going to see things a certain way. But Jordan can verify that the receipts are out there on this. I was shamed for this over two years ago. Yep. For pointing out... After very a obvious... game in Charlotte when he... The right. started it, was after, it was after a game in Charlotte. Pointing out his very obvious deficiencies at that time, I got quite a lot of kickback. I am not a big Jason Kidd coach fan. You know, I don't think he is the right coach for his team long term, the best coach for this team now, but he is the coach. And they have had good moments under him. They've had good moments relatively recently. They may continue to have good moments. And while that is happening, they can also have really horrible moments. Those things aren't mutually exclusive. And I I think that's what makes it dangerous to just be like, 
they get blown out by the thunder and then we're saying it's becoming more clear that his X's and O's and philosophies are holding the team back. I think there are, there are definite things that he and the rest of his coaching staff are doing that are not maximizing what the books can be. I also think there are things we don't talk about that both the coaching staff and the organization from a front office perspective have dramatically improved that now don't get the credit, but we, we all killed them long enough for those deficiencies that they kind of have to put all their eggs in those baskets. And now we're going, well, now this is a problem. Why didn't you fix this? And the biggest example of that is shooting, right? Shooting is, it, this is maybe the thing that bothers me most in terms of national media books coverage at the moment. That and point guard, Giannis, right? Two things. Ways to spot if someone never watches the books. They say Giannis is a point guard. And they say the book can't shoot. Small samples. Everyone loves them. Everyone's all raging over small samples. Do you know where the books rank in terms of three-point percentage right now? I don't. The books rank eight in the NBA. I was going to say seventh. They were seven. before last night's game. I looked at this. I'm not quite sure how it would have fallen with that one. They shot over 50% from three last night, right? I believe so, yeah. This doesn't sound right then, but I, I did look last night and they were third <laughs> in the NBA in three-point percentage. Regardless, they are currently a top 10 three-point shooting team. They finished last year, I want to say 10th, maybe mm-hmm. ninth even, in three-point percentage. Attempts are still the issue. They're now at least up to 19th. That's a slow improvement, but... A couple of years ago, you were looking at one of the worst three-point shooting teams in percentage. They're bottom five in percentage, and I think second last in attempts. No, I think they were last. Were they last? Okay. Yeah. Where To the point where now we're going, okay, they're top 20 in attempts, top 10 in percentage. They've made the necessary changes to the roster to improve in the department. Kid has worked more of that into his system. He deserves credit for that, and at the same time, there are ways where he could be doing more and he hasn't maximized it. And I, I think that's the problem with kind of going black or white. Well, you know, kid's the wrong coach. When do we fire him? When, when does he get fired? He's holding the team back. There are areas where he hasn't proved the team. I think player development, you've got to, you yep. can't overlook everything that's anecdotal evidence. We can't quantify it easily with numbers, but the players say about Jason Kidd and how people really close around the league talk about the job he's done with these players. That doesn't for me, again, I'm not the Jason Kidd fan here. It doesn't do it for me. I still say there's enough evidence pointing that he's not the right coach. But I, I think to say his, it's becoming more clear his philosophies are holding the team back is not right. Would you? What's your opinion on that? Are you seeing anything this season that's changing where you were last year or the year before that? I, I think it's not necessarily philosophy-based, even though there is some... I mean, everybody has grades about anything <laughs> a coach runs. Um, it's just the adjustment is probably the biggest thing that everybody ha- everybody has a problem with, at least for me, is that you have this system, this defensive system that you take pride in that you've, you know, have virtually unchanged really for the better, for all of your tenure. And you have the personnel. I would say this, this team ha- is more based in a very kind of switch heavy defensive scheme. And 
it's they unleash it every once in a while. Obviously, they do switch a fair amount, but it's still they also send kind of ludicrous double teams and all that stuff. There's little gripes that can be, uh, you know, addressed. And for the large, for the most part, that hasn't been. It, it feels more of like a case by case basis, especially if it like you know matchup based or stuff like that. That's the biggest problem that I have more than anything. And to speak about the whole after every loss, which I mean, teams lose, but more for some reason this year, it just feels like whenever the Bucks lose, it's like all hell is breaking loose for whatever reason. I just feel like depending on all on kid is such a crutch at this point there, the Chris Milton before last night was not having a great se- start to the season. There are parts. It just, I feel like that it's a catch all. It's the a Thunder crutch. game, right? What the, what yeah. what does Kid do to stop Steven Adams and to stop that advantage? And that's what built the lead in the first quarter. Game was over in the first quarter. So what does yeah. Kid do with the personnel he had available to him on that night to stop Steven Adams? Yep. So that's the worst and- the worst performance, the worst loss they've had this year. What does he do with that? What is what does he do with his personnel to combat a team that has the options the Thunder have? Now, obviously, that's I'm not saying oh well, you know, just give up. Don't bother playing the Thunder because you don't have players as good as them. Just give up. You want to see him try more, but it is just kind of, it's a cop-out to just say, look at this loss. How can we not fire a kid? It's about so much more than that. And to answer the question, the first part of this question, when would you guys think it should be the time to fire a kid? If he doesn't get results this season, this season is not eight games long. Mm-hmm. You know, it really, I can't, 30 games is, I've now said it three or four times, but that is going to be my mark of where I'll take this serious. And I kind of, I can be trouble long before then. I mean, if they're, uh, if they're like five and 12, I'll be pretty concerned. But we saw it last year. This Bucks team, they will go on long losing streaks and they'll bounce back. I don't think that's sustainable. I don't think that's the way it should be, but they can still do that. And at the end of the day, if he coaches his team to 50 wins this year, he hasn't failed. You can say he's been brought along by Giannis. There is no coach in the NBA who could be coaching the books right now who wouldn't be carried just a little bit by Giannis Antetokounmpo. You know? Yeah. It's, it's like you've got a certain level of ability. I'm not saying there aren't coaches who could get more out of this team, but even Greg Popovich, Eric Spolstra, best coach you can think of, put them with this team their job will be heavily reliant on Giannis' health and his performances because he is your team. How people view, I think, general basketball people, Spolstra in particular, because a lot of people thought, you know, he's, it's LeBron, it's Dwayne, it's Chris Bosh, the, the big three team, that he was just kind of the ancillary piece. And then you look at where what those he's players have gone. Yeah. And the, the talent that he's had to work with, too. I mean, that's a dropping off from three Hall-Fan caliber players. I mean, that's, hap- that's happened before. But look at how it's fared for LeBron. Obviously, that he's had a ring, but things things don't have it necessarily. I don't, if you ask any Cavs fan, I don't think anybody would say, or LeBron James fan, Stan, whatever. Uh, I think people would say, like, yeah, it, there's something different. It's more about LeBron rising up to the moment than, you know, Ty Lue and Larry Drew and Tim Boylan and company and all that. I don't Just think Ty Lue is a good coach. I said yeah. this last year. I don't think he's a good coach. 
and I mean, right now, I d that's no longer a bold statement for me to say that, but that would have seemed crazy to people a few months ago. It's like really, like, well, there it's, is... all, it's all because of results based. And I mean, that's, that's, are, that's probably you know unfair, I mean? right? As Spolster is a good example of that's unfair, but it is natural to have a healthy dose of skepticism until you see that coach without those tools. Which yep. in Bolster's case, he is then gone and had the turnaround he had last year with a James Johnson, Dion Waiters led team. And then you go, okay, this guy can coach. Even what he was doing before that with like Dwayne Wade as the lead guy when Bosch all of a sudden completely unplanned for. I mean, you don't have any contingency in place. Your cap was still tied up in him. Bosch is gone. And all of a sudden you have this old Dwayne Wade and you're still getting the results and being as competitive as they were. That's a measure of a coach. Kid is now at a point where, like, the books can win 50 games, and in the wider conversation, no one could be talking about him. And those 50 games could be because of Yanis, and we don't quite know. Do you remember Maybe... when people were floating out coach of the year last year? His name was everywhere. Yeah, that was more again, he won coach of the month in March. And the fact that they were a player team, we have to remember they didn't have Chris Milton. and they lost to Barry Parker. I mean, those things again, national conversation is a different conversation. Than you know, we diehard Bucks fans are having, but the people were people were flowing that out there. And if you ask any Bucks fan, they're like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> like, yeah, he just scoffing at it. Doesn't change. We talked about that in our season predictions. Like this start that seemingly is so bad hasn't changed it either. So Bucks win fifty games. Kid is going to be absolutely top three in Coach of the Year voting and could win the award. Yep. It's it's not even and Bucks fans will be like, "What is going on here?" But you've also got to stop and realize what that looks like from the outside. It's not that simple. He should go this season if he doesn't get results. Being four and four through eight games is not not getting results this we season. Have to, we have to, the other thing, too, I know we are very insular and just be focused on what we see. But this happens with every team. Steve Kerr does kind of stupid stuff, too. He relied on Anderson out during the finals. I mean, there's little quirks that everybody's that gets stuck in everybody's craw with their the coach that they follow. I mean, that's yeah, but the difference. The difference is that like it just seems to have been decided by and look, not all books fans, but a yeah. large population of books fans a long time ago that everything was kids' fault. Yep. And even when he is doing really bad things. You just can't look past that there are other things as well. We can't always losing to the Thunder was not all Jason Kidd's fault. <laughs> it's like it's no. just if if that's the way you choose to take your anger out on that, well, then you've really got to sit down, have a hard look at yourself, and grow up because it's just not all the coach's fault. This isn't just all on one person. It's not all just on one player always. Other factors come into it. I don't think he's the right coach. I don't think Jordan thinks he's the right coach, but he nope. is the coach. And he is yeah. going to be the coach until he proves he can't bring this team to where they're going to be. This is the season where that's going to be shown out. That doesn't get shown in eight games. Has Ty Lue been fired yet? No. And that's a much more highly pressurized situation in that LeBron James could be gone next summer. And they don't have a whole lot to build around then. They've got the Nets pick. Is he still the coach? Yeah, he's still the coach. And he will be for a little while longer. The book situation is not that kind of we're not on the, the verge of eruption quite like the Cavs. The pressures aren't as intense right now. The Bucks aren't supposed to be a finals team this year with the very best player in the league already. That's the goal for a few years from now. So when should he be fired? 
this year if he doesn't deliver that does not mean fire a coach in november let's not be the phoenix suns about this that would be completely crazy oh jatriano <laughs> yeah you didn't need to point that out from at or jr is Giannis enough to build around chris middleton yes <laughs> from at ac snide <laughs> why are there so many bad chris middleton hashtag takes with four z's four z's how do you say it in america i, I never know which one z, z. okay four z's Z Z top that's true that's a good way in future yep. when i think which one is it i'll be able to yeah so from andrew uh former former contributor on site good friend of ours andrew's been talking to me uh a lot today because he happened to be in uh the spectrum center which I believe it's called now, for the mm-hmm. books lost to the Hornets. And overall, he was very impressed by the books. He was very impressed by Tony Snell, by Malcolm Brogdon. He thought Chris Middleton looked unbelievable, which, I mean, you would have to have very deep-rooted biases to think otherwise at this point. And he's just confused as to why a lot of the people he follows, having written about the books in the past and knowing a lot of us pretty well, are in this state of just meltdown about the book's prospects. And I, I kind of sent them a few things I'd seen around. I said, well, this is a flavor of, if you think this is what you're seeing is bad, this is a flavor of the mood on Bucks Twitter. And he was blown away. And I, I just thought that was interesting because I, I don't think I often speak to someone who's actually from outside, a fan of a different team, about the whole situation. And Andrew was very much of the opinion, well, the Bucks are one of the best teams in the East. It's very obvious. Even in seeing them and seeing them lose, his reaction and the reaction of basically everyone in that arena from what I can gather was they were like, boy, it's great that we got to play the books on the second night of a back-to-back that Yanis got a pretty bad uh, charge called on him late in the game that he had all that foul trouble. That's the way you want to play the books. That's like around the league, people see the books, they're they're doing good things. This team looks good. And there's no reason to panic over Chris Middleton for seven games. I'm. I, I think the Middleton thing has completely jumped the shark. It's out of control. What? What is the? What is the reason for this? People. It's like people are rooting against them. I have no problem with people saying he had a really bad game. Pointing that out, he's had seven really bad games. You know, when he then has a really good game, he has a really good game, and you don't want the books to lose just because you know that will prove some some points for you in terms of oh look what happens when Chris Middleton has a good game. It's just nonsense. It's complete and utter nonsense. Um, I won't even. I won't. I, I had some tweets, uh, various accounts today. I won't even. I'm not going to even really justify, but different questions kind of about Chris Middleton. Some of the amazing things are thrown out there. This is like he's a career. I won't call him a 40% shooter. That'll be a lie. He's a career 39.9% three point shooter. And we're worried about seven games. You go, oh, it's more than seven games. The playoffs, he was bad too. Yeah, well, when he came back from the worst hamstring injury possible last year, he shot 43.3% in the regular season. I have seen common arguments run out there now. Oh, that makes him streaky. He's streaky. Streaky shooters are not 40% career three-point shooters. We watched Brandon Jennings. <laughs> and there's just Streaky does not mean that, like, oh, you know, you're going to have bad spells. You're going to have good spells. That's called basketball. It's like he, 
He is not a robot who's perfect. Giannis had 14 points last night. Giannis has been in foul trouble the last two nights. Yeah, oh, he's streaky. He's not always on the court because of fouls, you know? No, he's a person and a basketball player. Chris Middleton, you know how many points he's averaging at the moment for this season? Uh, 18-something? 19.4. Chris Middleton's averages, 19.4 points, 5.8 rebounds, 4.6 assists, 1.1 steals. What's that turnovers, though? 2.5. Actually not that high. Yeah. Uh, Last night, worth pointing out, 7 assists to 0 turnovers. Shooting percentages, this is where the problem lies, 42.2%, 27.5%, 90.9%, no problem there at the line. Those numbers, those first two, are going to, they're going to drag up over the next few weeks. Uh, I really, if I don't know what the problem is. Chris Middleton isn't, isn't the second option needed for Yanis. Guess what? He wasn't supposed to be the second option. The second option is currently rehabbing from a second torn ACL. What do we say? Tony Snell isn't good enough to be the third option. What, at what point do we start saying that, Jordan? It's complete insanity. Malcolm Brogdon has a slump. He's not good enough. None of them were supposed to be. And Middleton is, is doing fine. He's had a tough start to the season. He had an excellent, excellent game last night. The best game of his career. And I think at that point, you've got to chill on the panic for a while. Bucks fans are lucky to have him, have him on his current contract. They will certainly be feeling it when that contract comes up. And, you know, if you don't want Chris Middleton around on your team, that's great. I look forward to, you know, what it looks like when you suggest to pay Derrick Rose all that money instead. You know, it's we will we will see. Hopefully not, but I, I guess that we will see eventually what the books look like without Chris Middleton. And if he's not living up to your expectations for what a second option for Yanis should be, Remember, that wasn't the plan. And things don't always go to plan. You've got to deal with what you're dealt. If Chris Middleton does pick up his form from here and is shooting good percentages, probably averaging over 20 points per game, what is there really to complain about? His shot choice? If the percentages aren't incredibly low, not a problem. Is he passing seven assists, averaging 4.6 assists per game as the tertiary ball handler on the team? Secondary. Mm, that would be Brogdon. Well, how about 2B? <laughs> okay. Keeping in tradition with Chris Middleton, 1B as a scorer, 2B as a ball handler. There's, I, I don't know, Andrew. I don't know why the Chris Middleton takes. People have to be, have to be angry about something, I guess. And it's just, uh, maybe it is just that there's such a small sample size. People just get antsy at any little, anything that's off. It's just like... It's so magnified. He's got the 300 worst three-point shooting percentage in the league. You know, just take a breath, everyone. It's fine. From Mark DJ Jang, does Jason Kidd need to change his aggressive defensive scheme? He won't ever. I'm, no, again, I'm not being kind of smart or funny. He won't. No. Um, does he need to? No, because. He probably should, but then he's not coaching a defense that is his defense. Like, I don't know if he's best equipped to coach a different defense. Like, I, I think that's kind of something that doesn't get talked about enough. It's When we talk about should he change his scheme, it's like when we reach the point 
And it's, when I say we, it's not about any of us. It's when ownership reaches a point that they're like, we've had enough of this defense. The coaching staff is gone. Not just the defense. Yeah. The coaching staff is gone. So does he need to? No, because then he's coaching something he doesn't even believe in. And I think that's the point where things would really go downhill. Would the books be better with a different defensive scheme? Different question. And the answer is almost certainly yes. But this is his scheme. It has been his scheme. This is the scheme that at that time when I expressed my reservations about kid long ago and people didn't necessarily like it, this was the scheme that gave us the second best defense in the league. How can you question this man? You know, it's the same scheme. Anything to add, Jordan? Uh, no. Why do I feel like I'm having to do more talking than usual? <laughs> just... when, the questions, when the questions are negatively slanted, Jordan, I always end up having to take more. And you reward us with your sound bites sound bites <laughs> is what happens <laughs> from a taylor dash how much better do you guys think this team would be faring if jabari were healthy better offensively question mark less Giannis mvp due to less scoring they'd definitely be better i really believe that i know again there would be a large section of books twitter and the fan base who would say oh no things would be much worse if jabari parker was there scoring 20 points per game i think they'd be better <laughs> <laughs> they'd be better just for having that option whatever way they decide to use them that would be a different question but I mean in the losses the books have had this season has it not been painfully apparent that they could really use an extra guy out there you know a guy who could that Thunder game when Yanis is the only player to score in double digits can anyone say Jabari wouldn't have helped there. I mean, the defense was supposedly just such a wreck as it was. He, how could it get worse? You know, it's it's pretty obvious. I think Jabari would make a better, better offensively. Probably, yeah. I mean, it's just Jabari. The biggest way that Jabari, I think, would improve the books, even if you want to step away from his own contributions, is he makes Chris Middleton better because mm-hmm. Middleton is now the third option. He is getting less attention. He makes Tony Snell better. He makes Malcolm Brogdon better. You know, when he's on the floor with guys like that, they're just getting paid so much less attention. You mean Miles Plumlee better for uh, you know, good eight weeks stretch? <laughs> less Giannis MVP due to less scoring. I'm not sure on that. Like, I mean, Westbrook's numbers are down a little bit, but he's still going and getting his and other players who are star level players around them are showing the ability to defer and say, okay. This works. We can win this way. I think Jabari would get his, and I don't think there's anything that stops Giannis from getting his right now. Like maybe a lot of those uh, assist opportunities that aren't taken for the likes of Giannis or Chris Middleton could be dropped off to Jabari, and they end up being converted rather than missed. But yeah, the books would be a hell of a lot better. From at Alex underscore Canning zero two three, missed the OKC game, probably for the best. That's Alex's own addition, not mine. Was it really as hellfire and brimstone as everyone claims it was? I'm going to say no. Like, they just... They got blown out against a really good team. That was it. It wasn't It wasn't a great game. wasn't a whole lot good going on for the books. But it was not the game that just completely ruins out every hopes anyone had for the franchise, which is, I guess, how it's been made out in some ways. I just... No, it wasn't. They lost to a legitimately top tier team maybe mm-hmm. maybe there's an adjustment here that even with the star names people haven't fully bought into how good the thunder could and probably will be this year 
So it's made out to be worse. But I don't think at the end of the season we'll be looking back and being like that 19 point loss to the Thunder. That's I mean that was unacceptable. How yeah. how can you possibly lose to a team like that by they 19 had, points? They were blown out against them last year with I would I mean by everybody's much, much lesser players. Yeah. A one-man wrecking crew by all how everybody painted it with Westbrook winning MVP. They're blown out on Oklahoma City's floor at the end at near the end of the last season. And when the Bucks were in arguably better form, even without Giannis being this type of Giannis. I if, mean if the Bucks go on to win 55 games from where they are right now, I guarantee there will still be at least one occasion where they are blown out, probably by more, to teams who are much worse than the Thunder. Yep. And guess what? The other thing too, they only play the Thunder one more time and they're going to make the playoffs. They don't have to, they're not going to face them. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so yeah. I, I just don't yourself, see Speak for yourself. Uh, uh. I mean, I don't know if I want to face them in the playoffs. Is, uh, really? That's kind of where yeah. I'm going. There'd be a lot of excitement to only end up watching that game four times in a row. Um, from Abrosif underscore more. You're assuming that they're going to realign the conferences midseason, right? No, Jordan. No, I'm not. I'm not. I don't really believe what I just said at all. It was just a hypothetical. No one get upset. How difficult would it be for the books to change defensive schemes midseason? Think this would deter them from firing kids midseason? Again, this is kids' scheme. Kids' scheme. Why do you change the scheme and not change the coach? Change the scheme. You're getting a different scheme. Get a coach who is suited to coaching that scheme. It's not going to happen. We, like we talked about this last year and year before. They get so little time. And even with longer breaks between games this year, like practice days are so few and far between. No team is just going to go, let's throw the scheme out. If you're playing a more conservative scheme, you can make more subtle adjustments. Yep. If you're the books, you come through training camp with this scheme, it's your scheme for the season, unless you fire the coach. And even if that happens, I think that's kind of underlooked. Fire the coach and bring in a really good defensive coach. I don't even know who you bring in because I don't know who'd be available, who'd want to come for the books job, who they target. But let's just Brian Cardinal. <laughs> let's just theoretically say they fire Jason Kidd, they bring in a great defensive coach midseason. There are multiple guys in this team who have never played NBA defense under a different scheme or a different coach. Even guys who have like, what, is Yanis going to go, oh, yeah, this is like when I played defense under Larry Drew. That's what I need to go back to. <laughs> Trust me, that was way worse. Like, that, so, that was awful. I, there's not... that. I don't think the adjustment should be undersold for the books of what it would be to just be like, okay, we're just playing normal defense now. And they'd be like, what? No, norm? What's normal? De- you mean I'm not gambling for every play? There would be there would be difficulties with that too. I think mid season. So yeah, I mean, I hope everyone enjoyed the herd part of this podcast because the books part was certainly a bag of laughs. <laughs> Maybe they'll win. Imagine that, Jordan. Maybe they'll win, and the next time we record, they'll only have played one game. It's only the Pistons game between now and then. And um, maybe they'll beat the Pistons in the Little Caesars Arena. With a side of crazy bread and some marinara sauce. And we can all feel good again. We'll be saying, oh, they're playing the Cavs. The Cavs, they're awful. We'll beat the Cavs. 
And the Spurs, they're struggling. We'll beat the Spurs. I mean, it, it really, those two teams aren't playing all that great. They beat the Pistons. You could be looking at a three-game win streak all of a sudden. Like, it's, we're at the point in the season they can easily win or lose the next three games. We're just going to have to wait and see how it plays out. If the time comes where I feel that we collectively shouldn't lose our minds, don't worry, I'll, I'll let you all hear it. Jordan might even. Maybe Jordan, one of these weeks, will just go, I've had it. I've had enough. I don't know. I feel like if we recorded the podcast after Tuesday night, it would have been a different, more fiery, takey. From you? Yeah. Mm, interesting. Interesting. But you've now listened no, to it. Not in the way. Uh, you've, you've set it up in a way that you didn't mean to, but I'm going to close it there so people can just think yeah. <laughs> um, you've listened to a whole podcast where Jordan was the opposite of takey he let me do the talking and you're going to have to come back next week to see if the takes start firing from the <laughs> legendary fence sitters cannon in the meantime make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes follow us on SoundCloud, add us on Stitcher or even favourite us on TuneIn Radio you can read mine and Jordan's books and, and herd writing BehindTheBookPass.com You can also listen to the Monday episode of our podcast on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio if you would prefer every Monday 7pm Central Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio Until Monday Thank you very much for listening Thank you Jordan Thank you